um, thank you very much. Um, thanks to 5 by 15 and welcome to my uh, little corner of my front room uh, where I shall now uh, tell you a story. I'm really pleased that Newham Bookshop are, uh, are the official bookshop of this, um, this gig because um, Newham Bookshop have been around a long time supporting uh, poets and supporting action in the community and they, this bookshop tracks my entire career and it is the independent bookshops isn't it? and the independent publishing houses and the, the people who are putting themselves on the line um, to, to share stories that otherwise would not be heard. The, the, they are the, um, the fuel of the entire industry really. You know, the big presses depend on the independents to bring new writers and new voices and sort of the agents. They're incredibly important to us. And um, yeah, um, I've been told all my life that action speaks louder than, than words. Um, but that is to assume uh, that words are not an action which they are. That's what this entire event is about. It's about people putting words into the gap that was there before so that they could articulate what one person has seen and experienced. Words are an action. And if you don't believe me that words are an action, walk into any room, today's a good example, um, that's, that's where there's a meeting and there's a sort of group of people sitting and, and say, do you know what, it's, it's a bit hot. It's a bit hot in this room and watch what happens. Obviously that's not going to happen at the moment because there won't be more than six people, but you get me. Other people in the room will say, do you know what? It is hot. Can we open a window? Do you mind? Another person will say, I've been absolutely dying to say something. It's way too hot in here. It is always too hot in here, etc., etc." Words are an action. And as soon as you give words, to uh, an event, to a truth that you feel that only you have seen. Um, that is the first step of, of, of being seen. And um, they say a picture speaks a thousand words, but a thousand words speaks a billion pictures. And that's why we write and that's why we take pictures. And that's why I'm a judge of the Booker Prize. And that's why I was also a judge of Hold Still, which is an exhibition of the National Portrait Gallery about, uh, about us and how we have been through this pandemic, through, through as if there was a, a fish-eyed lens in our hearts, taking a photograph of what we see and feel, the, the grandparents that we could not hug, the child that couldn't kiss its parents. I think now, might be a good time to show you that series of pictures that's on the National Portrait Gallery website. That final photograph was of a woman who travelled across the country to see her, her grandfather and to show him a photograph. And that photograph is of 
the child, the 12 week old, sorry, uh, the 12 week old embryo, which is in her womb. She brought that picture to show him. The uh, exhibition is on the National Portrait Gallery uh, website and uh, it went live two days ago. Today we uh, announced the Booker Prize, uh, the, the Booker Prize shortlist, which is six, uh, six brilliant writers. And there are more writers of colour on that shortlist than there's ever been in the history of the Booker Prize. We didn't choose them because they were writers of colour. We chose them because they, their work was, uh, in our opinion, as five, a group of five individuals, um, uh, was the best. Um, I'm going to uh, share with you why uh, touch is important. Why in uh, the National Portrait Gallery's uh, exhibition, uh, all of those photographs are about people trying to, trying to touch each other and knowing that they can't. The only way they can is through, uh, through a window. Um, and, um, and we understand how important touch is when it's taken away from us, most of all. Not when it's happening. Um, I'm going to read for you now how, uh, how touch became important to me. From my book, My Name Is Why. At 14, I tattooed the initials of what I thought was my name into my hand. The tattoo is still there, but it wasn't my name. It's a reminder that I've been somewhere I should never have been. I was not who I thought I was. The authority knew it, but I didn't. The authority had been writing reports about me from the day I was born. My first footsteps were followed by the click, clack, clack of a typewriter. The boy is walking. My first words were recorded. Click, clack, clack. The boy has learned to talk. Fingers were poised above a typewriter, waiting for whatever happened next. The boy is adapting. Paper zipped from typewriters and into files, and the files slid into folders under the S section of a tall metal filing cabinet. For 18 years, this process repeated over and over again. Click, clack, clack, secret meetings were held. The folders were taken out, placed on tables, surrounded by men and women from the authority. Decisions were made. Put him here, put him there. Shall we try drugs? Try this, try that. After 18 years of experimentation, the authority threw me out. It locked the doors securely behind me and hid the files in a data company called the Iron Mountain. So I wrote to the authority and I handed, hand-delivered the letter. The reply informed me that I had to write to customer services. So I wrote to customer services and customer services replied to say they were not, not permitted to release the files. The authority placed me with incapable foster parents. It imprisoned me. It moved me from institution to institution. And yet now, at 18 years old, I have no history. 
no witnesses, no family. In 2015, following a 30-year campaign to get my records, the chief executive of Wigan Council, Donna Hall, wrote to me. She had them. Within a few months, I received four thick folders of documents marked A, B, C, D, click, clack, clack, on reading them I knew. I took the authority to court. How does a government steal a child and then imprison him? How does it keep it a secret? This story is how. So that's from the, uh, the, the jokey um, preface of my book, My Name Is Why, which came out exactly a year, uh, a year ago. Um, it did take me 30 years to, um, to, to get my files. At 18 years of age, when I left the children's homes, I had two, two missions. One was to write poetry and perform it, and the other was to find my family and prove what had happened to me for the first 18 years of my life, that my foster parents had said that my parents, my mother was not around, that, the, that she didn't want me, um, uh, and prove that that was a lie, prove that the social services had stolen me from my mother. Uh, from 18 years of age, I, that was my mission, to give words, to say the unsayable. I was stolen as a child, robbed from my family. Once I finally got the evidence, I took the government to court, once I took the government to court, I then used those files to show the case against the government, my foster parents, and the people who did what they did to me. So that I can stand before you now and tell you um, it's the truth. The most important thing that I have learned in having, in having proved my case in having nearly self-destructed. After all, if these people were doing these things to me, if they were imprisoning me, then maybe there was something intrinsically wrong about me. If the foster parents did say that they were my family forever and they, yet they put me into care at 12 years of age and said they would never speak to me again and never did. If the children's homes got rid of me at 18 years of age, leaving me with no relativity to any memory that I had had for that past 18 years, not one person called me after that. Not one person wondered how I was when I was 19, 20, 21, none. I realized at 18 when I left care that I didn't know anybody who knew me for longer than a year. All my friends were going off to college, were going to work, etc., etc., etc. were telling me that they didn't want to be with their families because families are horrible. Of course they were at 18. They wanted to go out and experience the world. I wanted to prove what had happened to me for the past 18 years. The point is this, the greatest thing that I have learned about what seemed like the greatest harm that could happen to a child is to forgive, is to fully 100% forgive 
the people who hurt me most. Because only then could I begin to trust that I wasn't, that there was nothing wrong with me, that I wasn't the kind of child who what they did, who deserved what they did to me. I know I've proved it legally. I know I've proved it artistically, but I don't believe that I've proved it to myself. And in forgiving them, that was the first step of realizing that I'm okay. And that is my alarm. <laughs>